Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 117. If you're ready to be inspired, challenged, and changed, you are going to love this episode of the Healing Catalyst podcast. Welcome back, my beautiful friends. I'm coming to you this week from Hawaii on the island of Kauai, where I've been soaking in the beauty of my family and nature. Last week was a whirlwind of work, finalizing the edits of my book and catching up on all the stuff of life. But this week, I'm taking some time to rest, regulate, and reset my nervous system. I'm allowing myself to slow down, breathe a little deeper, and absorb the healing energy of this magical island, from the cleansing beaches and the ocean to the energizing sunrises and the spectacular sunsets. I'm always so, so amazed at the colors of nature. And you know, it's during moments like these that I realize the depth of anxiety and suppressed emotions that I've been carrying in my body for the last year, which actually serves as a profound backdrop for today's episode, where we explore the transformative power of mental health advocacy with Christopher Lamarck. Christopher is a community passionate organizer and the founder of Coffee, Hip Hop and Mental Health, a Chicago based 501c3 charitable organization that provides free individual and group therapy to those facing financial barriers, particularly in black neighborhoods. His donation based coffee shop model, which is genius, funds the program, builds community and is a space of refuge for those in need of support. Hip hop is intentionally infused in everything that they do from the beverage menu to the creatively curated events that they host throughout the city. Christopher's public vulnerability and integrity has led to many trusting and long lasting relationships with the W Hotel Group, AT&T, Lululemon, the Obama Foundation, Oatly, Ben and Jerry's, Walgreens, and so many more. In our conversation, Christopher shares how he's blending the universal languages of hip hop and coffee to pave the way for open, honest conversations about therapy, healing, and mental health in the most extraordinary ways, creating safe spaces for the Black community to confront and heal from trauma. We also discuss the importance of representation in mental health, especially for Black men, and how vital it is for breaking down barriers and building bridges to understanding, empathy, and healing. You know, this conversation is more than just a podcast episode. It's an invitation to be inspired, challenged, and perhaps even changed. For me personally, this discussion with Christopher was not just informative, it was transformative. Because when we really listen to the voices of those working in the community, we're not just learning about the complexities of the issues, they're teaching us how to be part of the solution. I am so honored to share my conversation with Christopher Lamarck about the importance of growing human intelligence in mental health to serve Black communities and how we all can contribute to a more empathic, inclusive, and healed world. Well, Christopher, it is so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for saying yes, for making time. I know we were just talking a little bit before we hit record and you were sharing that you don't do these a lot. So I feel extremely honored that you said yes to me. So thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. And gratitude for even wanting to talk to me. That's a blessing for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, I was sharing with you, I have a lot of ties to the city of Chicago. You are in Chicago as well. It's where you started your mm -hmm. whole mission. And I've been here in health and wellness since my early days. I've lived here my whole life, went to college, medical school, worked in public health. So I have a real tie to the work that you're doing. 
may not be direct, but it's indirect. And so for me, this is really, really important to talk to you about the work you're doing. And so we'll get into all the things, but I would love if we could start with a little bit about your journey into mental health advocacy, particularly focusing on communities of color, of the Black community. Absolutely. How did you get into this? You have a beautiful, amazing story. I'd love for you to share it. Uh, well, so Avanti, you know, it's a pretty interesting uh, situation because if you would have told me, I don't know, six, seven years ago, even 10, that I would be running a coffee shop, yeah. which I was never a coffee guy. And, and then that coffee shop would be the hub or the refuge, if you will, a foundation to this mental health organization where we help people grow their mental health, mm -hmm. right? Because I just wasn't in that space. I didn't understand that. That wasn't a part of the language in our community amongst my friends. Everything was reactive, right? From an emotional standpoint, you're surviving. I'm very much someone who lived in poverty. I was probably a, what you may consider high alert because my life wasn't the best at all, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And then one day in 2018, just everything kind of came to a head. I'm working a dead-end job. You know, my credit score is extremely low. I'm pacing 40. And when you look at the childhood trauma, the unresolved childhood trauma, the disappointment, all the grief that we collect over the years, not just loss of loved ones, but loss of opportunity, you right? Uh, sitting in this coffee shop one day at Millennium uh, Park train station, nestled in the, you know, in the corner of this Starbucks, yeah. and I just fell apart. A very, very messy cry. And so, you know, if I can put it into context, I think I was thinking about, I'm, I'm working this BS job. I'm in a relationship. I don't think she liked me and I don't feel valued. Something I really don't talk about, but that was a lot. That had a lot to do with what was going on in that moment, too. You know, this, this, this job I'm working every day don't pay me well. I never finished school. Survivor, three suicide attempts. I never knew my parents. I think everything at once just hit me. And I had a very necessary, messy cry. But I think the thing that was so beautiful in that moment, I... I realized that I, unlike other times, I didn't want to die in that moment. It wasn't, I'm, I'm messy because the next step is to do a fourth suicide attempt, right? No, it was, it was, I understand that I want to live. I just don't know how, right? And I, so in that moment, I had enough agency after cleaning up the, you know, from this messy cry to take my butt to therapy. And I searched psychology today. I found my therapist within weeks. And after a few tough sessions, I went home one day after having all this language and discussion, and I wrote down three words that ultimately changed my life, which is coffee, hip-hop, and therapy. I had to come back to it later and cross out therapy and say, that doesn't sound right. And then that's when I added mental health once I started to understand what that was. And so that was the beginning of my journey. That, that, that was the latter part of 2018. And then ultimately, I started doing the work of crafting the logo, crafting the business plan, like what is this going to be? And then we officially launched on July 7, 2019. So that was my start. Wow. So it came out of a personal need. And, and thank you for sharing that so openly. I appreciate You're that. Welcome. It's not easy to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that from our personal journeys, our own stories, that's where so much of the work that we want to do in the world, it comes from that. If, if we can find the strength to do it, right? It's what we call in, in my culture, I'm South Asian, dharma, right? Our life's work, our life's purpose. For me, the work that I do in Ayurveda and yoga therapy, outside of being a physician, right? I've made a change. This is my dharma, my life's work, to use that platform, to use that MD behind my name to do what I'm doing now, to educate, to advocate, right? And so what you're talking about is so, so important because it comes from a deep place of understanding and need something that you needed, right? Absolutely. Definitely needed. And I like that you're talking about that Dharma, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so for me, it was how do I leverage yeah. my own suicide ideation? 
how do I leverage the grief and the disappointment? Because for so long, the grief and the disappointment and then the desire to kill or murder Christopher. And the reason why I'm using those words, because I know they say complete your life from, but I go a step further so I can talk very raw and openly because I realized if I had made a decision to murder Christopher, to turn my own clock off, my life was associated and attached to so many other brilliant and beautiful people who need me. Like my son wouldn't be here, you know? And you know, so, so I said, how do I not allow my mental illness or my PTSD, right? All these different things I was dealing with. How do I find a way to leverage all the pain to turn it into something else? And that was a very difficult thing. So when you see the logo, the 6453, which is the old childhood address, which is where everything happened, 6453 South Hermitage in the city of Chicago, 12 years of the abuse, which ultimately impacted my adult life. And the moment I started to go to therapy and I started to learn so many things, I, I started to have room mentally to receive new stuff. And that's what trauma does. When you're stuck emotionally and you're stuck in a place where it's hard to receive anything because you don't have the agency or the capacity, there's no new strategies. There's no rationale, right? And so like the moment I understood what this was, I said, okay, I'm going to leverage all of these different things. And for those who are listening, like, what is he talking about? What, what do you mean? How can you leverage like your suicide ideation or leverage? Well, what I did, the more hurt, go create. Like the more I'm in pain and disappointment, go create. And then that's one season. Like the next season is, you know, you know, as I grow, right? You know, with more healthy coping skills, right? When when I'm being provided and taught language, because most of the time people don't know how to articulate what's happening. They can't even describe what's going on. So they either avoid or and like most cultures. I think in my community, I saw a lot of people replacing stuff. You know, if you lose something, just go get another. But I lost something. <laughs> but we're taught to just go get another relationship. And you don't even process. And, and that's what trauma is. It's like unprocessed grief. <laughs> right? and, and so the leveraging is let's stop. Let's process that it happened. Let's fill it deep. Let's not focus on toxic positivity by saying, I'm okay, I'm cool. You know, there's some lessons here. No, that's a loss. And you won't really tap into a significant lesson until you feel that loss. Feel it for what it is. And so I was training myself to, like, to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to let this thing have me. It had me for 40 years. So, so that's, what, that's where the leveraging became. Because I said, I'm a mess. I've been a mess for a long time, but I'm still beautiful. That's the duality of life. I'm both messy, Avanti, and, and I'm still beautiful. So how do I turn this mess into a beautiful mess Yeah, yeah but beautiful <laughs> right. message. I mean, it's the but and, right? The ability to hold two truths as, at the same time, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's most important. Right. And so... You alluded to one thing when you were just talking about, you know, in your community and what you knew, the people that you knew, it was this behavior of replacing things. So I want to dig a little deeper because, you know, we can read all these reports. I've been doing research. I always prepare for my, you know, interviews before I get on, on the mic with somebody about the specific mental health challenges that face the Black community disproportionately. From your perspective, what are those? Because you're on the ground doing this work. You're experiencing it as well, personally. Tell us about that. Because again, we can read it in all these you know, studies and reports, but let's talk about what, what reality is. Like, what are you seeing? I thought about something like today, and I don't know if I should go deep into it, like, but I'll paraphrase it. And I think it'd be enough information for you and the audience to articulate or to sort of mind through like what I'm saying. But, but it's, Something that there's no report for is something, you know, there, there are these, these, these invisible indicators 
or these invisible things that are nestled within the Black community that we're all dealing with, and no one sees them but us. And and and, and so therefore, it's hard to put a percentage to, right? Or, or it's hard to say, mm, that you can't diagnose what you don't see, right? You know, so so Black people for a long time have been very forgiving. And be, because we grew up the way we grew up, from all the pain, right? So not only are we dealing with childhood trauma by the hands of the people that we grow in spaces with, but the systematic oppression and trauma, right? And and, uh, and so when you're told, get over it, time has passed, yeah, but it's still unprocessed stuff. Uh, there's never been a resolution or a solution, right? And so this invisible thing that shows up like whenever I see a white person, right? Which is why it's hard like for me to have white employees, white partners, right? Because while I may not be afraid of you because of what has happened, there's these invisible indicators or triggers that, that, that tell me, don't let them in. And so I don't know if I'm hurting my organization or am I protecting my organization, but the fact that I have to think about that at all, that is, that is the privilege of what we talk about with certain races. You don't have to deal with that type of stress. So that alone is something that there's no number for because we have because we have we had to become very resourceful people because in, in which the conditions that we grew up in, right, raised from the you know from the foundation of America to the present day, right? Because because I'm thinking about intergenerational trauma, <laughs> community trauma, family trauma, all this stuff, right? So so when I think about that. Oh, what an exhausting life. And, and the only thing that comes close to comparing so people can understand what I'm saying is poverty. It's the only thing that can come close to from a comparison standpoint because they're almost the same because technically there's a poverty or a lack of community. That's a form of poverty, right? If you don't have proper understanding, that's a form of poverty, right? So it's not just food insecurity, not financial insecurity emotionally insecure. And so I like to talk about those things and like get people to think about the invisible stuff that you can't see and is exhausting and we cannot breathe because you don't get it because you said, oh, it's over. It's a new day. You're free. No, because systematically, like when I walk down the street, if I have a Coffee Hip Hop or Mental Health logo on and you know what that is, you, you treat me with respect. But if I don't have that on and you just see a black man walking, I see how you react. That is one of the things. And uh, so I said this when I was thinking about, I was thinking about Kanye West. And, and, and I don't never agree with what anybody says wholeheartedly because we don't agree, right? There's a, there's, there's perspective, how you grew up. I don't know your situation. So I don't agree with everything that everybody says. But the one thing I thought about was, man, black people are so forgiving. We had to be a forgiving people to even live in this country and go to work every day very confident. But man, no one really forgives us. Do you know how exhausting that is? I can only imagine. Again, so you know, so I can, yeah, I mean, like, so I can easily tell you what everybody reads. Yeah, yeah if you grew up in poverty, you know, like, you know, does a, you know, we already know like what we're lacking in our communities. But but let's talk about the thing that you don't know. You know, that is tough. And so running a, like, you know, running a organization, I am often seen and viewed as the black man running an organization. I recognize I'm black. I love the fact that I'm black. <laughs> you feel me? I stand by my community, but what I want us to see color, understand, and I don't want us to be passive about it. But someday I just want to be the guy who's doing good by people. And I don't want you to make a decision because of color. And because diversity and inclusion programs and resources and companies wasn't created for black people, it was created for other races to acknowledge that we need the support. <laughs> so, yeah, and, it, and then all the other facts that come with that. So I wanted to talk about that because there's this high level invisible thing that is impacting our lives. And because we don't talk about them because everybody says that happened 50 years ago. You should be, look, look how far you all have come, but, but it's the invisible things. Right. And what you're getting at yeah. is 
root cause. It's about what's really underneath when you peel back the layer after the layer after the layer, right? That's what you're talking about. It's what we talk about in Ayurveda as, you know, what is underneath the symptom, right? If you're talking about it from a health perspective, which is a medical perspective, which I'm coming from, right? You can look at a symptom on the surface. What's the cause of the symptom? And you can say, let's throw this at it. Let's throw that at it. Let's cure the symptom, right? Let's get rid of the symptom. The problem is, is that you can get rid of it for a little while by medication, surgery, whatever. That's the Western model that I came from, that I was trained in as a, as a physician, right? The reason I went back to Ayurveda, the healing system of my ancestors, is because we do so much more. It's about prevention. It's about looking at the root cause. Where is it coming from, right? Yes, let's, let's help the person with the acute discomfort that they're in. That is important. Absolutely. But we can't stop at that. And that's where Western medicine, from my perspective, goes wrong. That's what's lacking in Western medicine. We got to look at what's underneath it. And that's, a, that's what I feel like you're sort of alluding to. That's what's coming up for me when you say that. Like, let's look at the invisible stuff that's going on, right? Yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. Uh, so we're pacing five years. So as of July, mm-hmm. you know, 7th, 2024, we'll be five Amazing. years. And one you will look. Thank you. Which is that's huge. Thank you. I, I can feel every bit of it too. I'm sure you can. <laughs> so uh, I'm both proud and like I earned these gray hairs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, well, when I started free, like the therapy program in 2021, January up into present day, when we closed the fourth quarter of, of like last year, I was sitting back with this. $67,000 debt. And I'm looking at how we were attempting every year to spend a quarter of a million dollars on free therapy. And then at the end of that, I said, this isn't sustainable for us to be assuming the debt. And I learned in my own therapy journey, because as much as I was building this organization, I was also in real time still going to therapy. It wasn't like I went to therapy and said, okay, three years later, after having all this work, I'm going to go do this thing. I was doing it in real time. So I was very much, you know, in my first stages, right? Trying to build something for other people in the midst of COVID. So it was very problematic to do what I was doing. It was it was a risk. It was a huge risk, right? And uh, so at the end of last year, I said, you know what? Free isn't sexy. You know, we're giving away all these, you know, we we have this beautiful coffee shop. We have prime real estate. The model makes sense, but when you look at from infrastructure sustainability, can we be around another five or 10 years? Free isn't sexy. Free doesn't actually track donors who understand in order for you to sustain, if you're just giving the house away, I understand the intention, but if you're just giving the house away, I don't know if I should seed into that because you're always going to need money. We need to empower you financially so you can find a way to increase, you know, your internal system so you can make more money based upon what we're sending to you, right? So we need to see like a better model or, right? And uh, so I was like, okay, free isn't sexy, Avanti, because most people don't respect free, right? So I was watching how we was going from 43% to 57% from a success rate. And I was like, what is the problem? Oh, okay, here's the problem. Money isn't the only issue, (laughs) That isn't the only barrier in the black community or, or anybody who's uh, coming. Some people need a massage. Some people need a job. Some people need food. Talk therapy isn't the only form of therapy. So when we look at our campaign, so we're coffee, hip hop, and mental health, and our goal is to normalize therapy, right? How, how are we going to do that? Well, food is therapy. Community is therapy. Proper clothing, water, the basic needs of life. That's therapy. So we started to look and say, okay, let's pull it back. Let's stop all these programs. Let's stop paying for people to go to therapy. We did it for three years. We have nothing to prove. We said everything that we we did everything we said that we were going to do. So we don't have nothing to prove. So, so let's stop. Let's let's look at our expenses and let's say, well, a coffee shop can't go away. So if we continue to put ourselves in debt, then we're going to lose this whole thing. So let's be smart here. Let's be smart. Let's step back, talk to my mentors talk to my team. Here's the answer. We're going to create normalizedtherapy.com. We're going to release it on May 1st. Let's go back to the original plan, turn the cafe into normalized therapy cafe. 
Let's make a more zenful wellness space. Let's turn into an upscale boutique. Let's go back to what the plan was, community and commerce. Let's do this thing different. Let's make money because every nonprofit has to have profit. <laughs> right? But we understand that the barriers, grief, this unprocessed grief, disappointment. I feel vulnerable today, but I don't feel vulnerable tomorrow because I'm protective. Survivor mode. You know, even me going to get surgery for my rupture of Achilles taught me something very valuable. The doctor or the surgeon who would do the surgery was was in my therapy program like before he even started doing surgery because not because he didn't have the money. That's the stigma. I don't really know how to do this. So I said, you know what? It's not just money. It's not just black people. It's any human being who has lived this life long enough is going to have some heartbreak and disappointment. So how do we help them navigate this life? Let's go back. It's basic needs of Monty versus advanced needs. And and you're not and technically therapy is a basic need, but I'm I'm looking at more high level. Are you gonna have the bandwidth to sit in a one-on-one every week if you don't have food? So so let's go back to man's law hierarchy needs and let's really look at this thing, right? I mean, because what are the barriers? Why are you stressed out? Oh, you don't need to talk therapy, figure it out. You probably need a mentor, <laughs> right? Or maybe you're working 60 hours a week. So, you know, it's looking at humanity one-on-one. What do we need on a daily basis to figure this thing out? And so I know that was a mouthful, but I'm trying to get you to understand that as a nonprofit doing this type of work, you have to like always look at your plan and your mission and say, I think we got to be a little flexible in this. And we got to really, really see what's happening because if we're going to be around for the next five years, then we have to like stop being so mission-minded that we're not leaning into more thoughtful intention and wisdom. Right. And, and, what, and really, yeah, yeah, what you're talking about is actually really looking at what is it that people really need? What's, again, looking underneath, what's really the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. To to say that we need to give therapy, which is a beautiful thing. And I absolutely agree with you that most human beings, when they've lived long enough, or even if they haven't, everyone experiences trauma in some way, right? But looking at absolutely. what's going on underneath. And so, you know, one of my questions was to you, what do you think, you know, some of the most significant barriers are to mental health in any community, but especially the black community, you just actually answer the question, which is all of these things. Yep. And shame. Mm, shame and embarrassment are, yeah, right. man, shame and embarrassment is something that I see in every community, right? And like the beautiful thing is, Avanti, is when you have a beautiful space that we have, where we have our collective community come in a room, there's the, there's a single mom, there's the family man and woman, there's the corporate person, the doctor, the athlete, the teenager, and they're all in one room. And what they have in common is, I like that song. I know what it's like to be in love. I know what it's like to be crushed, broken, and embarrassed. Oh, wow. We feel the same stuff. Yeah, because when you live this life long enough, you're going to be embarrassed by something. You're going to be crushed by something. And those are the little bitty barriers that we don't really know that will become the bigger thing because we're taught to just get over it. Yeah. It's being human, right? Those are all the human emotions that we all feel for different reasons and different ways. You also mentioned something about, you know, people saying, I like that song. So let me, let's just backtrack for a second. Cause I know we're going to the future of what you're sort of envisioning as sort of how you're going to change things and sort of the next iteration of the work that you're doing. But let's just go backwards for a second. Can you tell me about how you connected this art form of hip hop with coffee and mental health. I know you said you were in a coffee shop, but like, how did you put those things together? And why do you think they're so effective? Yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but if you look Christopher Lamarck on like iTunes or any musical platform, I mean, I spent the last 20 some odd years like performing, you know, hip hop music. You know, I'm a poet first and foremost. Uh, You know, I did those things and, you know, I thought, and that was one of the disappointments in that coffee shop. Like, man, I never became this performing artist like I thought I would, right? So there's some disappointment there. And so like, when you look at coffee, you know, it was, 
it was it was been in this coffee shop that no one bothered me. It was no bias, no judgment. I had the space to just sit here and be messy and clean myself up and then have this realization to go to therapy. But but the reason why hip hop is there is because hip hop to me is just as important to the black community as the civil rights, you know, like the Black Panther Party movement, when like the Black Power movement, right? When you look at what's going on in like like culture, you know, from from the civil rights perspective, like the next thing that that was very prominent to us was the hip hop community. We were taught so much. You can talk about all the problematic stuff that comes with, you know, hip hop, but hip hop was the way that we talked about the AIDS epidemic. We talked about, you know, the stuff that we were going through. We was informing like all these other communities about what was happening in our area with the drugs and things of that nature. So that's why it was polarizing for people because it was like, wow, for real? <laughs> that, you know, because when you tell someone, a story that they cannot relate to that becomes an interest point or entertainment. But more than anything, hip hop is a bridge. It's the way that we use it to connect to our community so we can speak their language, so we can say, hey, I'm meeting you where you are, but let me tell you about this exceptional thing over here called mental health and this counseling community, something I think that you can use because technically you're using hip hop as a form of therapy if you're an artist, but if you're a listener, listening to these poetry and because you got to think about hip hop has parented our community. That you know, that's some people that didn't have a father that stands by everything Jay Z has said. So it's the bridge, you know. It's how we bridge a gap between the community and the mental health space, right? And, and then being someone that used hip hop as a way to diary my own journey, it's the thing that helped me not want to kill myself because I can go back to hip hop and write out my pain. It was it was it was my first form of therapy. It was so many people first form of therapy because we trusted that art form and the orators of that more so than the white guy that we would see on TV sitting across the couch. You you don't relate, you don't understand, and why I don't fear you. I don't trust you. So this is my comfort zone here. Right. And so how did you use hip hop as a way to connect with people? I mean, I understand what you're talking about. Music is such a powerful connector to people yeah. and it's poetry and it's oral history and storytelling. All of that is embedded in hip hop. How did you use it? You put a bunch of people in a room, like I said earlier, you got all those different people in a room, but you play like 808s of Heartbreak, you you play the blueprint, uh, you know, you you, know, you go through like Stillmatic or Illmatic, you go through any of those hip-hop records, you play those different songs just off one verse alone, you know, you can you can talk about, I mean, first of all, storytelling is super powerful, like, because when anyone's telling their story, you give people permission to tell their story. But what if the person in the song is talking about something that reminds you of the old school neighborhood? We can take that one song and build a whole conversation about love, grief, violence. And now you're going to start hearing everybody's story and then know what that does. It makes the therapy space, the group therapy space and our space much more easy. And it's like, oh man, I remember what happened back then. And then again, if you play a song that's talking about love and relationship, music is the only thing that doesn't ask for permission to insert in our lives. Just think about it. That's why we learn music fast, right? So when you look at the psychology and the power of music, when we're all shopping, and we don't realize because we hear that song so much that we're naturally learning that. So, so we use that as a guiding point to like start or spark conversation, right? Because it's also an icebreaker. You play the favorite hip hop song, you play Love Yours by J. Cole, and you're like, wow, you know what? There will always be somebody who will be seemingly so more attractive, who will have more opportunity. And that's the beauty about that. Hip hop is so intricate and so smart, so brilliant. You can say a whole lot in a 16 bar verse, which ultimately a hip hop song is anywhere between 230 to three minutes. And you can relate. <laughs> hip hop relates, it connects, it does so much in a three minutes than, than you're doing in your whole life. So we have to leverage that art form. I mean, 
feel me? And like, and like that's that's how we use it. We like put it, put you in the room, and I can't wait for the conversation that we're gonna have at the end of the month. And then we're gonna talk about the psychology and culture of hip hop. Where where did it start? Where are we now? How did it evolve? And how is it impacting our community? When you do that, you get people to look around from an accountability standpoint and say, are we doing okay? Are we okay? Are we communicating okay, right? Did hip hop go so commercial? Nah, it didn't go so commercial, but corporate just decided like to put money into one particular part of this hip hop culture. Right. And uh, so as much as we're using, we still have to be responsible with what we're saying and who we saying yeah, to. Yeah. And so, you know, this takes me back to my early days in public health when I just graduated from college before I went to medical school. Okay. I was running a program for kids in the DCFS system here mm-hmm. in Chicago. And we did some projects with a couple of mentors of mine who are in public health here in the city using music as a way to get kids to open up about sexual health, about sexual protection. That was back in the days when HIV and AIDS was, you know, rampant, huge. That's, that's where I, you know, graduated out of college into that public health dilemma. Um, And so that was the kind of work we were doing. We're using music as a way to icebreak, to connect with kids who were from all of these different neighborhoods in Chicago. So it just brings me back to that. And so I understand how powerful music is. Can you share a moment, a story when you felt like, oh man, this is working. Like this is having an impact. This this idea that I had of this coffee shop and hip hop music as a way to connect with people to understand why they need therapy, why mental health matters. Like, can you yeah. share a moment when you were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is working. This is it. I have, a, I have so many stories, so many testimonies. I'm going to share something that happened just this past Saturday, right? And so I kicked off this, you know, we, 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 we stopped doing all the free therapy stuff. And we, we were disappointing some people like because they were so used to coming to our space. But we knew that financially, like we just had to stop revamp. And so I say, you know what? Our community is asking for therapy. So how can we make it work? So let's bring back something where at least we can get everybody in the room again. And so we said, you know, we're not going to do it after business hours. We'll do it within like the, you know, like the store hours. And so we did something called Make Room, like the Make Room series, right? Where it's group 18 plus and older, anybody from that age group can come in. All you got to do is RSVP, drinks, drinks are included. And essentially, you're having therapy for a price of a cup of coffee, right? But the Make Room series is about addressing the uncomfortable things. We're making room for you to have the uncomfortable discussion. And so there are three E's that that we want to focus on, to empower, to encourage, and to educate. That's the new phase because we, we learned that in order to grow your mental health, people need to grow their mental, emotional, and social awareness. And the only way you can do that is by tapping into, you know, you know we got to feed the HI, not AI, but, you know, you need more human intelligence, right? And, and, and uh, so Make Room is about educating people. So it's like church, group therapy, and school, Psych 101. And, and, and uh, so I'm like, okay, it's back, it's packed, every seat is filled, they're in here, every race, this is beautiful. I'm not going to go too much just because I want to protect like the people in that room. But I'll tell you this, there's a group that came from Milwaukee. I mean, like, first of all, like when you know that somebody is driving from Milwaukee, this isn't the first time. This people are flying from all over the world. And I'm not saying that from an exaggerated tone. I'm saying people literally make plans to come to coffee, hip hop and mental health. And while they're in Chicago, they do a list of things. But what was top on that list was just to walk physically inside of coffee, hip-hop, and mental health because they saw it online, they follow our community, and they want to come. And so like, when you have somebody who's coming already traveling to us from Milwaukee, and then you bring your friends or your family, and you say, they need help. So what's not happening in Milwaukee that's happening here in Chicago that forces you to drive here, right? We held a space for somebody to literally say to us very openly, 
the most painful way. I don't know what to do. It's high alert. I'm scared, but I need you. you. While that may not sound like the most biggest thing, you don't understand. When someone feels that comfortable to say, I don't know what to do. I need help. And you travel an hour plus and you found comfort in saying that. And now we naturally become your accountability partner and say, hey, give me your number. Let's, and that's something I normally don't do. But when you see that, you have to say, OK, this time, this is time for a different step of, you know, work. Right. And that was a man. And, and, and it is happening more and more. Women are naturally verb. I mean, vocal. Right. So. 74.9% of our audience online women and the other are men. But that number is higher in the last six months that men are being more vocal. That is a win. They're asking. It's a huge win. They're saying as soon as we as soon as we launch this make room series, a black young man messaged me and said, Thank you for bringing group therapy. Thank you. He didn't care that that was now a price on it. He didn't care about that. Thank you for making room. <laughs> you feel me? And that is happening over and over and over again. But it's so much power when a black man. See, a lot of times when you have black organizations that do stuff, we, we always use the language of black and brown. Nah, nah. While I'm advocating and fighting for all of us, my number one priority and value is to always make room for Black people, right? And so when Black people are able to say, very safe, they can, they can feel safe enough to say, I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm hurting, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. Oh my God, that's the first step to healing, to, to acknowledge, <laughs> to own, to accept, to be aware and to verbalize it. Well, now we can get some work going. So that is a right. constant testimony. That is constantly happening. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's amazing. That's incredible. Yes. Um, I, I got to sit with that. Because just coming from the healthcare perspective, to have mm -hmm. anyone in any program, any encounter that you have with another human being say that to you, like brings tears to my eyes because that, that is the reason we do this work. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's back to that Dharma. This is why this is my Dharma. This is why this is your Dharma is to have that impact and to have someone say, you are helping me. I'm here to ask for help. I feel safe enough to ask yes. for help. Oh, like I had to, I mean, Brings tears. I mean, no, you can take a moment while I read because you keep saying Dharma, and I want to make sure anytime I hear words and I heard of this, but I was like to read the definition. So, Dharma denotes behaviors that are considered to be in accord with RTA, the order and custom that makes life and universe possible. This includes duties, rights, laws, conduct, virtues, and a right way of living. The concept is believed to have a trans temporal validity. And it's one of the four. Now, this is a word, kurasartas. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It's it's one of the four. Sometimes it's hard to translate from Sanskrit into English because mm. you you lose some of the essence. But it's one of the four pursuits in life, virtues in life, hmm. is to pursue your dharma. Um, the other is enjoyment. Right there, there's four of them, and the, these, and and also abundance. Right. So I know we're going down a rabbit hole here, but I'm intrigued. So like the yeah. so like this is Hindu, right? It is Hinduism. Part of it is Hinduism, but mostly it's it's a philosophy. It's Vedic philosophy that comes from South Asia, from from India specifically. Like so it's that. not necessarily religious. It's a philosophy, a way of life. So, so it's righteousness, moral values. And if you say artha, that's prosperity, economic values, comma, pleasure, love, psychology, psychological values, and then like the moksha is liberation. Moksha. Liberation. Okay, moksha. liberation, moksha. Thank you. Liberation, spiritual values, self actualization, which is 
yeah. everything that we're doing. Mindful, mindful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I really do yeah. like this. Yeah. So what you're talking about, when you talk about, again, the story that you just shared. So thank you for doing that. You're very welcome, ma'am. It is, it is the reason that so much, of, so much of what I do, so much of what I'm hearing you do, that's the reason we do what we do to provide that connection to other human beings, to help them on their journey in life, you know? So let me ask you this. I want to turn to sort of mental health professionals, like sort of the advocacy. And what do you feel is the importance of representation in mental health? Because I think a little bit of what we're talking about also is that, you know, when you create this space for people to feel safe, right? Yes. That's about who's in the room and who has created the room, right? Yes. Talk to me about that because that that is a that's a big issue in this country. I, you know, my son is a clinical therapist and he works with the LGBTQ plus community. And this is something we're talking about all the time. But tell me about it feels like a representation in mental health. So I believe it's massive, right? I mean, because I, by me working in this space, 95% of the people I deal with when it comes to mental health professionals are women. In some cases, that may be 97%, like, because it's just a very small percentage of men who are in this space. And so, and then when you look at that, then that percentage is a lot lower when you think about men of color, right? And so, so like when you have like someone like myself, who is not a psychologist who studies psychology, but very much a person who lived a trauma, you know, field life. So now I'm able to give a perspective that, or share a perspective that most people in this space cannot share. So not only if it's representation because um, a black man, which is huge considering like the stigma associated with our community, we don't talk about our feelings, our emotions. So to be someone who has grown into this social, emotional, like intelligence, you know, if you will, which is something that our community, like you don't see that, like you don't hear it. It's not a part of our conversation. That's huge, right? Because what it does now, it has given so many black men, women, and children permission to say, oh, I'm going to go get some help. And then if you are white, or you're Hispanic, or you're any other culture, and you have looked at the Black community one way, and, you, and you're and like, oh, Black men are intelligent. Black men are emotional. Black men are not just rap videos. Black men are not just, right? And so it's like, oh, now, now they're looking and turning their biases away. So representation, what's being shared, because I can walk around every day and say I represent mental health, right? But it's all about what's coming out of our mouth and what are we doing too. So it's representation and it's mission. It's huge. It's so huge because it it breaks down it breaks down barriers, the, inv- the invisible barrier, right? It opens up for more dialogue about maybe we have maybe we saw this wrong, <laughs> right? Um, because I'm going to talk about what happens in the workplace and how tough it is to work in corporate America. I'm going to talk about how tough it is to go to school and to be looked at, right? I want to talk about how segregation probably wasn't the best thing for the Black community. It was probably, like Martin Luther King said, that's never really talked about how he thought, oh man, I don't think that was the right thing, (laughs) right? And so I'm going to talk about social and economic struggles. I'm going to take you inside of what it's like to be a Black man both who's been abused by his own family, who's been abused by community, who's been abused by this system of oppression, that level of representation does so much. It says, oh, I'm understanding that it's a root that's much deeper than what we imagine because I've just been throwing little things at them thinking that that's going to cure them and it's not. We have to find a way to really help them. So that's why I tell people, hey, stop calling me to do these different things so you can check off the list of Black History Month. Stop calling me and stop asking me to do stuff like that if you're not empowering us. And I'm not just asking for money. I'm saying, ask us what we need. Sit us in a room. If you really want to like shine a light on us as Black people, don't call me during Juneteenth. Don't call me during Black History Month. Call me on a random Tuesday and say, what do you need? How we can 
how can we help or how can we partner? Because what you represent, if I empower you, I may not feel comfortable coming from the north side like to the south side, right? But if I empower you, then you can go and build your community. Because I'm going to walk in there like with my biases, my good deed is going to be temporary. But if I empower you, you're going to have more capacity, <laughs> right? So representation is super important because what it does most of Vonti, it gives other black men, women, and children who look like me, who talk like me, who walk like me, who have gone through or going through like what I'm going through. Man, he made it. He did that. He decided to live today. Oh, so representation is powerful. And it's different. While it's powerful for a black woman to do the work that I'm doing, women are already talking about their stuff. Black women already hold spaces. I'm not saying they don't need more of it, but black women show up much different than black men because they also have a little bit, I want to be careful here, but they have a little bit more privilege than black men like because there isn't safe spaces for black men. Because if a black man run into a middle of the street and scream right now, and maybe he's screaming from grief, but just because how that looks, he would be detained. Uh, because something violent and volatile has to be wrong here. But if a black woman, just because of the way we socialize, you know, we have been socialized as black people, right? And, but not only socialized, but women from a society standpoint have always been more coddled, right? And it's like, you know, let's protect her. But you a man, like, figure it out. Come on, go be strong. So on one hand, we've been socialized, but on the other hand, it's like men and women have been viewed and, and treated much different. So, so having a black man in this space talking about the things that, that no one else would talk about, it gives you both insight, which creates understanding, which hopefully creates empathy. And leads to transformation, right? And you know what? I'm glad you said that because I thought about that. I thought about that word transformation and I thought about how we, how all of us celebrate so much, but that's no real. It doesn't mean like you can't clap for the small wins, big wins, whatever, but that's why we need human, more human intelligence because Avanti, there is no true celebration like without transformation. You know, like when somebody do something big, if it has great impact, something was transformed, which means something exceptional happened. So we all applaud. Yeah. But, if, but, but if we did something that somebody else can do, and it's going to be repeated again, like putting a ball in the basket, I mean, that's cool, right? But if we empower people, see right now, I understand the convenience of AI, but if we're just making machines smart and we're not, helping because because what's missing from mental health is human intelligence because if i grow i have at best 11 grade education on paper at best but i know a lot of stuff not because i just look at headlines all day i read i study i study to show myself approved right but that's also why i'm able to like live a little better today i still think about suicide but because i'm reading and studying it's teaching me other ways to cope. When you're downloading exceptional things, it's broadening your perspective. And the only thing that separates Avanti, the average person who goes to school, is the person that says, I'm going to do an exceptional amount of reading and studying. <laughs> and technically, the only thing that separates two people in class is their memories. When you pass the test, it's because you remembered. <laughs> and it's not so much about formula. Like, while the formula, like the formula is important, but in most cases, it's just having a great memory. And you can't have a great memory if you are filled with so much trauma and chaos. And so that's why we have to grow our human intelligence so we can be more rational. What's missing from mental health, we have to tell people. In order to grow your capacity, you have to be smarter. Because here's the difference. You can be intelligent, but being smart tells you to be kind. <laughs> right? You can be intelligent, but being smart says, nah, even though there's a flaw there, you still got to be integrous and hold that contract up. Or to be smart, you know, I, gotta, you know, I can't say yes to that. And I got to make more, more room for myself. But there is no being really, really smart 
that without growing your human intelligence. So we make sure that we throw that in there because that is something that we're missing from the mental health conversation. We need to educate people. People only know what they know, so they're going to do the same thing over and over again until something else exceptional shows up. People need to be smarter. Yes, yes. And they need to have the the exposure. And, w- and what you're doing is you are connecting with them. You're creating that room, that space to connect with people. And it brings down the defenses so that they can actually hear you, yes. that they can have, an, they can, they can be informed because they're able to then hear what you're talking about, to, to connect with it in a different way. Maybe that's what I'm saying. It's not, not hearing. It's not like people can't hear, but it's, it's more that they can connect with it in a different way. They can be Absolutely. present to it in a different way. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like in order to be present, you got to be able to navigate. You got to be able to compartmentalize. And if you are in distress and you're overwhelmed, you right. can't, everything sits in one space because you don't know what to do with all of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, so like you actually live and, and behave. That's why people, so like when they look out on the South and West Side, that's so much crime. Well, people are in survivor mode and they're trying to just get through the day and everybody's reacting, but everybody's responding to all of that that's sitting. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what to do with that. You can't make healthy decisions. Right. Everything is high level emotional response. Right. 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 You're responding to the energy that you're carrying around. That's how you're responding as well. Yeah. Yep. So I want to make sure that I get to this question for you. You know, you mentioned you don't want people just calling you during February, Black History Month, during Juneteenth, check off a box to say, yeah, I support this. How can anyone who's listening, individuals, organizations, mental health professionals, healthcare professionals, how can they support you, your mission, contribute to it? What do you need? If you are spiritual and you have a relationship with God, pray for us. I mean, because, because there are some things that are unseen. We don't know what's ahead of us. Uh, so even if you have a strategy, you don't have a strategy for the unseen or the unknown, right? So if you're spiritual, pray for us. If you have money, well, and you live in a city of Chicago or surrounding states, well, our second annual Black Tie event is coming up. Uh, it's called Igniting Green. Starbucks, the same place where I had that very messy meltdown has given us a very beautiful in-kind donation, uh, which is they give us the big roastery to do the black tie event on, on May 8th. They pay for all the food and they give us this beautiful space to raise money. And our goal is to raise $500,000 so we can have a reserve, so we can put towards our therapy program, so we can sustain as a business model because the cafe is used to offset when, when we're waiting for grants and donations. That's why we built the business, right? And because currency isn't, you know, money is the only form of currency, there are people who are helping us build a library. They're sending us psychology books to the cafe. So when people show up, we can educate them. We, we can say, you can read, send us some beautiful books. Uh, if you if you're in, you want to volunteer. Every Friday, we have a standing volunteer session where you can show up from three to five and help us in the cafe. You can do anything to help us. You want to clean, you want to write on cups, whatever, right? We we need you in that regard. Because again, everybody don't have the money, right? But you have, but you work for companies that do. Like you can talk to your boss, right? You can spread the word. You can go to social media and share our messages. Those are the ways that you can help. You can come to an event, right? Come, Come to the coffee shop. We're looking to sell 100 cups per day. So while you may not have thousands of dollars, come and buy a few cups a day from us. You know, we make good coffee. It's not just a nonprofit that has coffee. No, we make really good coffee. And so we want people to volunteer in a different way. Volunteer not just your time. Volunteer those dollars. It's a tax write-off, right, if that's important to you, right? But I'll end on this, you know, with, you know, in, in terms of health. Yes, donations are a beautiful thing and we always need it. We always need money, right? We're looking for more therapists we're, because we want to always be HIPAA compliant. We want to protect the people in the room. So we need therapists to volunteer their time in our space. Show up and say, hey, I'm just going to be here in a space because sometimes people come in and want to cry and we don't know what to do if it's a crowd, <laughs> right? 
So show up and be in a room. You 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 psych majors. You you are student therapists, right? The people that may have the capacity. But because because here's the deal. Here's 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 why we also can't just do a free therapy program because if we're telling black people to come to therapy, they want to sit across somebody that look like them. But most black therapists don't have the financial capacity to offer pro bono or discounted services, right? And so it's important that, you know, like the people that can do it show up in those spaces and volunteer that way because if I'm going to be put it, I can't continue as we pace in year five, like to be the only person to champion mental health in my space because it's not sustainable for me to constantly leverage my own story and and to educate. It's it's not sustainable. So we need people, more ambassadors. So, so if mental health is a thing for you and you care about people, not about your own stuff, but you care about people, you're a therapist and you want to donate your time once a week for a couple of hours, man, and that's going to help us faster because the need is greater and more people are coming and I don't have, I don't have it all, right? <laughs> I leverage my own stuff. Now we need more therapists to show up in a unique way to meet these mm-hmm. people. So I hope that was enough. Yes, yes. I know a therapist who will be calling you. Yes. Much love. <laughs> Everyone who's listening, we will make sure that we provide links to all of these resources, to Christopher's website, to donate. All of that will be linked in the show notes for you so you can just click and get to where you need to so you can help out in the ways that you can. Absolutely. And uh, normalizedtherapy.com. That's it. But we're looking to launch normalizedtherapy.com. Sorry, Avanti. On, no, on, on, on May 1st. But before we do that, everybody go to normalizedtherapy.com. If you're a mental health specialist, a therapist, we're looking to feature you. So we need you all to sign up if you want to help us with this work. Okay? Normalizedtherapy.com. Okay. And so that's what's next. And we're going to be watching what you're doing. I just have one last question for you because I know we are like over our time together. Which is something I ask every guest who comes on the podcast. You know, this podcast is called The Healing Catalyst. And so if I offer up up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Personally or in general? Both. I cannot thank coffee enough. Coffee was a catalyst to me because when I decided to go into that coffee shop that day, Avanti, it was because I was pacing 40 and I was working a dead end job and I didn't have enough money to like buy lunch. So I went to the coffee shop to curb my appetite. Boy, did I not know that that day in that coffee shop was going to change my life. So the, the fact that I became this barista, I own the coffee shop and that coffee shop is a refuge, not only for myself, but for so many people. Coffee has been the catalyst for me. You know, a coffee shop model has been the catalyst. And 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 like the other thing that I will also want to talk about is probably, which is most significant outside of coffee, is all the people along the way of Vonti that just helped, that gave me a couch, that gave me food, gave me their car to sleep in because I didn't have room in the house, but I could sleep in their car. The people that gave me money, like to make sure I was eating, all those people are directly responsible for what I'm doing now because there is no pay it forward model without all those people paying it forward to me because they carried me, they they got me here, and so now while I may not be able to thank all of them because some of them I lost touch, I don't know where they are anymore. I grew up. So as a tribute to all of them, this company exists. Coffee and all the people along the way that said, I'm going to help you in this seat. They ultimately helped me heal in so many ways in one. So I dedicate everything to them. So if you're listening, thank you. Thank you very much for helping. Um, I'm speechless. Christopher, thank you. I'm nearly in tears. I just am really moved by your story about by what you're doing. Very welcome. Thank you. you. And thank you. Thank you for being on my podcast. Absolutely. Like I'll do it again. I would love to do it live. Let's do it live at the shop. Let's do it live. Let's do it. I'm 
mean, so thank you for the opportunity because I don't know the people that you know, right? And uh, so that's why I'm very grateful, you know, for the opportunity because I get to share my story that helps other people because there's somebody sitting at a desk right now who seems to look good on the outside that just don't know what to do. And this is going to help them go another day, you know? So I, so I appreciate you because you are a catalyst for so many people. You smart, beautiful, brilliant woman. Okay. So I honor you today and I thank you. And I stay in a space of gratitude. Fair enough. Yes. Thank you. Very welcome. Thanks again for listening to the healing catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.